attorneys. When you need an attorney, your attorney can be one of the most important people in your life. And today we have the privilege of speaking with Chris Melzer, who is a high profile divorce attorney out of Los Angeles. And Chris and I, we're going to be having a conversation about how to pick an attorney. Talk about how to find the right attorney, how to find an attorney who has the type of communication style that you need, some red flags to look for before hiring your attorney, and some questions to ask your attorney prior to beginning an engagement. And also, please check out our updated website, www.weeklywealthpodcast.com. We have our new roadmap to financial success that you can download. And please tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your family members, tell your colleagues about our podcast and help us to build our tribe. We hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chuddick where we discuss the wealth-building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. We are a podcast where we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. My name is David Chuddick, and I am a financial advisor with Parallel Financial. And what that means is I help my clients to make the best possible financial decisions for them for the reasons that are important to them. So if you've ever wondered what it's like to work with a financial advisor, email me, David, at ParallelFinancial.com. We can set up a 30-minute consultation by phone, by Zoom, or in person if you're local. And we can just chat about the things that are keeping you up at night. But today we're talking a little bit, uh, a little bit of a different topic. We're talking with Chris Melcher, and he is a high-profile divorce attorney. Um, but we're going to talk about the attorney business in general, how to pick an attorney, and uh, and just those things like that. Because attorneys are part of that su- subset of society that you don't need them till you need them, and then they're pretty darn important. So, hey, Chris, how are you? Fine, David. Thanks for having me on the show. And I'm, I'm super happy to be talking about this topic because as a lawyer, I'm seeing clients sometimes pick a great advocate and doing really well with it. And then also other times picking the wrong person and suffering for it. So my goal here in the time that we're spending together is to share like what would I do if I was looking for a lawyer for myself and share those kind of tips. So if any any of you find yourself in a position where you have to fi- hire a lawyer, you're going to be in a lot better position. Yeah, yeah. So obviously you passed the bar and, and, and your main area of practice is divorce. But legally, you could try a death row case, right? You'd probably lose because you uh, – is that kind of – like people think attorneys know every part of the law, but you don't even know all the divorce law, right? And certainly in other parts of the law, you probably have very, very little knowledge. That, that's right. You're bringing up a great point, David, is that in, in law, once you get your license, you could, you could take a death row murder trial. You could do a divorce case. You could handle a business dispute case. There's The license applies across your state and without restriction. Unlike other areas, um, other professions where the license would be limited or specialized, we just kind of turn these lawyers loose. And it's a failure of the system, I think, because not all lawyers have the same experience and passionate about the law. And how is the client to know? 
And so there, there are some analogies to medicine that we can get into because you're more likely to have picked a doctor. You're more likely have to have gone to a doctor many times and understand what their specialization is, but you're probably unlikely to have dealt with a lawyer before. So that is a parallel that we may be using in some of this to, to understand like how you're going to actually pick a lawyer. Sure. Well, and I want to preface this whole episode because I'm talking to a divorce attorney right now. I just hit my 22nd wedding anniversary and you and I kind of met up um, through some uh, Internet networking uh, sites. But everybody out there, every guy is fighting for the title of having the second best wife out there because I have the first. So um, if anybody's listening, no, I am not using Chris for a divorce attorney and I will never need a divorce attorney. So we have that out of the way. But let me ask you this. So did you take more classes regarding divorce law in law school um, than, than maybe somebody else who took business classes because they're more of a business law? Or do you get your experience and expertise kind of once you're, once, once you're post-law school? It's all post-law school. The, the, in, in law school, they, they teach you how to, how to analyze a legal problem, but they do not teach you how to practice law. That when I was in law school, and this I graduated in 1993, I was going to be a corporate securities attorney. That was my goal. And so the classes that I took were Are you crazy? I mean, why would anybody have that as a goal, a corporate securities attorney? <laughs> because you can make a lot of money doing that. There you that. go. All right. <laughs> so unfortunately, though, when I got out, the economy was in recession and there was no hiring. So I, I had a very humble beginning or humble start to my career, and I was practicing law out of my bedroom in my parents' house and started doing personal injury, plaintiff side, doing criminal defense, and, um, and made enough money where I was able to buy a house and do, do fairly well. But it was through happenstance that I got into divorce law and in 2002 met up with uh, a gentleman, Peter Walzer, who had an office down the hall from me, and he was a, a family law specialist on his own. With the, And we hooked up together, and me, him, and a secretary then all these years later have built a law firm, eight lawyers, only handling divorce throughout the state of California. Uh, we have high-profile clientele. I mean, A-list celebrities that represented billionaires, it's it's an amazing transformation, but it was all learned during practice of law. I don't really reach back to much of law school experience for it. It was it was me going out there and figuring this stuff out case by case, oftentimes losing and and then just having a passion for law. I eat, sleep, drink, everything, family law. Okay. Well that's pretty cool stuff. So if I needed an attorney of any kind, um, whether it be business law or or I'm buying some property or criminal defense or any of the, I mean, law is such a broad category. How would I know who's the attorney that I should pick? Like, I don't know where you went to law school. Does it matter? Are different law schools, do they prepare you better to think about law? You know, what are some of the things that, that you would look for if you needed an attorney yourself? Sure. And, and I've given this a lot of thought because um, 
it's easy for me to say as a divorce lawyer in Los Angeles who to pick because I, I know everybody. Um, so I'm looking at it from the client's perspective. And we have a lot of uh, difficulty, I think, as a client uh, trying to pick a lawyer because, like I said, this, this may be the first time that you've ever had to, to select one. Number two, there's a legal problem going on that may be stressful to you, highly personal, like a divorce or you're getting sued or you got injured. So that's going to affect things. And then there may be urgency. So the, there may not be a lot of time to select the lawyer. So all these things are kind of working against you. And so many people will go to the Internet and look. That is one avenue. But when you're looking at that, the website of the lawyer is basically a fluff piece. It's their their communication that they're writing about themselves. And it's all like, oh, this person is so great. I don't really pay much attention to that. There's rating services like super lawyers. I don't pay any attention to that because those mean nothing. And um, what I would be looking for certainly on the Internet is um, going to the state bar website for your state and seeing if there's a record of discipline, because if there is, that's a huge red flag. And so I would be checking their license and seeing what they're posting or other people are posting about them on the Internet. Um, so that would be one one step on, on definitely the Internet search. Uh, the website that the lawyer has will be helpful in terms of specialization because if you go on their site and you're looking, say, for a divorce attorney and it says, oh, I do divorce, but I also do criminal defense and personal injury and business disputes, go to the next page. You do not want that lawyer because they're a generalist and they're going to be good at nothing. And, um, you, you know, so you want to find somebody who's dedicated themselves to the area of law that you need help with. And so that would be one huge thing to do. Now, I have other other tips to share here for sure, but my top tip, if we wanna just get right to it. Let's hear the top tip. The top tip is find this, you know, go on the internet, do your research, go, go check with, with friends for referrals, identify the most expensive lawyer in town, the, the most high profile lawyer in town, call that person's secretary and say, hey, I see you're out here. I, I you know, and admit if you can't afford that firm, I can't afford you guys. I'm looking for a divorce lawyer. I'm looking for a personal injury lawyer. I'm looking for a criminal defense attorney in your community. Could you help me with the referral? The, these firms, we like my own, I mean, if we get 100 calls, we're going to probably take one or two of those clients. We, we are super selective on who we take, and that means we're referring everybody else, and that means we already have the referral list. We already know who's good in these areas and can match people up. We don't get paid for it. We just like, hey, we, we're not going to be able to help you, but here are a list of people who can. That's coming from somebody who knows who's good or bad in your community. So that is my top tip. Go to the most expensive lawyer. Tell them like, hey, I don't want to waste your time, but could you give me a referral? Now you're getting a, re a referral from a lawyer to another lawyer. That is powerful. So if you're in small town USA, not Los Angeles, <clears throat> I mean, do you kind of just generally say, hey, that guy has the nicest building and he's probably the most expensive? I mean, how do you know how much an attorney charges? 
So, and, and it is hard when the smaller the community, the less chance there's going to be of specialization. Mm -hmm. And because so you're, you're generally going to have people who are going to have multiple practice areas in a smaller community, and that's fine. Now, um, you know, certainly, um, I mean, if, if the person is successful, they should be busy. Mm -hmm. And 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 um, so we, we do judge some of this. I, I hate to say that, but I mean, it's it's it's, uh, you know, lawyers make good money. And if they're successful, they're going to have a nice office and they're going to have a nice website and they're going to have staff and answering a phone and being responsive. So these are some ideas um, because. You're going to spend, I mean, all lawyers are expensive. doesn't matter who you hire. They're all going to charge a lot of money. I mean, a stupid amount of money per hour. Well, let's so, talk about the elephant in the room because, you know, yeah. as a client, you might say, you know, why the heck is this guy charging me so much money? All, royer, all lawyers are, 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 are crooks and they just charge too much. So obviously, I believe everybody should get paid and everything. And, and some people yeah. may think that my fees are too high. And, and are, are we paying for expertise or, or why does it need to cost that much? I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it, how much exp how expensive it is. And and for, for me, I'll use myself as an example. I'm I'm eight hundred and fifty dollars an hour. And that's on the low side. I could be a thousand and I could literally charge a thousand dollars an hour for what I'm doing in, in my area. I cannot afford myself. If God forbid my wife left me, I could not afford my own law firm that I'm a co owner of to represent me. Wow. It is that expensive. And, and how is it that expensive? Well, overhead. We, we, we have eight lawyers. We got to, I mean, could you imagine the payroll that is required to, you, you know, most people can't afford a lawyer for an hour. A law firm has to pay the salaries of lawyers for a year and the office and the malpractice insurance. The admin overhead is on top of that non-billable time. It is... It is an enormous amount of money to run a law firm, and that's why the hourly rates are high. Now, what we're seeing, though, is though, firms like mine who have the infrastructure and we have systems in place, we have the best technology, we invest constantly into our business, we pay our people well, we have lots of staff. And that's why our our overhead is so high. But then we have other we see other lawyers who are basically solos who don't have any infrastructure, don't have any systems in place, don't even have an office, don't even have staff, but they're charging similar rates. Mm -hmm. And and so that I do question uh, because, yeah, they're able to get it paid for it. But without the overhead that we have um, that supports the client, that gives the client value, that brings muscle to the job, you're paying really all pure profit with the, the non-staff. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that, makes a, uh, that makes a whole lot of sense. So you and I are talking and like, I would like to work with you. You, you kind of have a style that, that seems like works with me. And you just almost answered a pretty tough question. Why do you charge so much in a way that makes a lot of sense. And, and I really, I really appreciate that. Like when, when people, because I've always heard um, that fully 80% of anybody's earning ability is based on their communication. In other words, how many people pass the bar? A lot. How many are very successful lawyers? And really, most of being a lawyer is is being able to communicate in negotiations and everything else. So, how do you find 
Like, how do you know what you as a client, what, how, how your attorney should communicate and how do you find that person? This is hugely important, David. And, and I was surprised uh, after doing this so long and I've, you know, I've, I employ lawyers and I've, you know, here at my office, I've hired lawyers to represent me. Um, I've co-counseled with them. I mean, this is, this is my thing. And I was surprised that how many lawyers can't speak. Because I figured like, well, you're a lawyer, you must be a, you're a spokesperson. This is what your job is, at least if you're, you're a litigator. You're there to, to represent um, the client in court. You're, you're basically selling that client's position to a judge or to the other side in a, in a negotiation. But we see all these lawyers who can't talk. It, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And, um, and we have legalese that the lawyers learned all these terms in law school and then they, they throw them around. And I think it's just a way of making them feel better about themselves or making them seem like they're smart. But to me, if nobody can understand you, you aren't smart and you are not communicating well. So communication style and effectiveness is super important. I think more than the subject matter because law, stu law stuff is not rocket science. Honestly, it is really not that complicated. I mean, there's facets of it, obviously. But when it comes down to it, most laws are rules of reason. So, you know, the answer to most legal question is what's reasonable? Well, that's probably, hopefully, what the law is. So you want a lawyer to communicate. And when you're interviewing the lawyer, you want to be listening to what they're saying. And are they, you know, ask them questions. Are they answering you? Um, because if they're not answering you directly when they're trying to get your business, well, they're certainly not going to listen to you later on. And the questions that they're answering, do you understand what they're saying? I mean, we, we need a lawyer who can understand. And, and if you can't understand, and probably nobody else can either. So I would keep looking and find somebody that actually is going to listen to you because there's a lot of lawyers out there who are, you know, kind of more paternalistic. I know everything. I've seen it before. I'm going to come in there with my tools and fix it, and I will tell you what needs to be done. That is absolutely the wrong approach for a lawyer. We are servants, and I think that that's what gets misunderstood by people because of our title, because of how much money we're paid, that they think that the lawyer is in charge, the lawyer is the one who's going to find all the solutions and tell us all this great wisdom. No, the client is in charge. The client is the most important person. We listen to the client. We serve the client. And, and you want a lawyer with an attitude of service, not somebody who's going to sit here and, and tell you what to do. And especially in divorce, what I'm seeing is, is that we have people who are trying to get out of one bad relationship with their spouse and winding up with now an equally dysfunctional and toxic relationship with their lawyer. So you don't pick somebody who's just going to tell you how it is. Pick somebody who's going to listen to you and represent you. So that's really interesting because what I was thinking is I would really like an attorney that would just say, look, this is what needs to happen based on my expertise. And, and maybe it would definitely need to be more of a partnership based on, based on what you're saying. And it's also interesting because I know that what you're dealing with is emotionally charged relationships. And I'm sure most divorce cases are not all that complicated if you take the emotion out. But when you put the emotion in, 
you know, I'm going to take him for everything he's worth and vice versa. I mean, do you find yourself having to say, yes, we can try to take him for everything he's worth, but that's not going to work. So maybe we back down and make it easier. I mean, can you make that suggestion to your client? So it is highly charged and emotional and the, the client will be coming in oftentimes feeling that, hey, this is unfair what's being proposed or what's happening to the client. And um, the first part of this is, is, again, listening to the client because uh, I understand, I need to understand why do you feel that way? What, what, what is it about this situation that makes it feel unfair to you? Now, they may come back and say, well, hey, my spouse cheated on me. And, and why should I have to pay support? Or why should I have to share the children with this person? They cheated on me. And most states, it doesn't matter. And so this is really an educational issue for the, the, the lawyer and client to say, hey, I heard what you have to say. I I feel badly for you, so I have listened to you. I acknowledge that this is wrong and that you were hurt, but the courtroom's not the forum to deal with that. And what we do in court is make orders for the payment of money or the sharing of time with children. And the, 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 the affair is not a factor. So what I'm trying to do with those conversations is to is to educate the client about what the law provides, set expectations for the client to know like, hey, the court can only do certain things and it's not here to right every wrong. It's it's very limited what you can do in court. And it's important for clients to to hear that and know that because otherwise they're thinking because no one's told them otherwise that they're going to have some grand day in court and they're going to stand up and say he or she cheated on me. And the judge is going to say, oh, wow, well, if that happened, then we're going to order this. And that never arrives and their expectations were never met because they weren't set properly in the first place. So I listen and then I educate the client. And so most of the time that's sufficient. And the client says, oh, hey, I, I get that. OK, let's work on then what the money order is going to be or what the timeshare is with the children. And they can deal with the emotional hurt separately because it's not going to be solved in the case. But we do see lawyers who are cheerleaders, what I call them, to say, yes, client, you're hurt and I'm going to advocate for you. You do not want a cheerleader. You want somebody who's going to tell you in a surgical manner, this is what you're facing these are your options. Here are the risks and benefits of each op option. What do you want to do and allow the client to make an informed choice rather than leading the client down some road that is a dead end? So you've obviously had clients who made the decision that maybe you didn't want them to make. They chose option A when you thought maybe option B would have been a better better deal. It's very difficult. Yes. So and, and this is one of the questions I think you would want to be asking a lawyer in an interview is what if we disagree mm -hmm. on the approach mm -hmm. now the um, because we, we and 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 that's very insightful and penetrating question because uh, to see how how that lawyer is going to answer that. Now, to me, I, I think I'd probably want to know, well, what are we disagreeing about? Because if it was like, hey, let's, you know, defraud the other side or something, it's like, well, no, I can't defraud the other side. So that's it. But if it was a question of, hey, do you want to accept this settlement or go to trial? Well, that's the client's decision. And it would be like, hey, I'm going to give you all the information. And if we disagree about it, uh, that's your choice. It's not 
I am not the decision maker. So it, it really does depend on the, on the question. But if what I am, though, looking for at the beginning and as a lawyer and what you should be looking for as a potential client is, is this going to be a good match? And I get clients to come in and say, I want a pit bull. I want the shark. I want to do this. I scorched earth, all these things and say, hey, any me. I have a list of lawyers that do that very, very well. That's not me. That's not my approach. My approach is a slow and steady, informed, strong. We're going to be advocating based on the law and the facts, highly protective of you, but not going to attack. And the reason why I do that is that I think litigation is toxic. It is devastating to people. There is an emotional cost involved in it. And going around and attacking people unnecessarily doesn't help any of that. And so that's not my style. I will go to trial and win if I need to. But there I am also looking out and informing the client of the other costs of litigation. What harm is this going to do to your kids? What harm is this going to do to other relationships? What harm is this going to do to your bank account? What harm is it going to do to your bill, right? I mean, certain certain tactics would require more of your time, which even if it makes somebody feel better that they're, you know, quote, fighting harder, you know, at yeah. $850 an hour, <laughs> you, you fight too many hours and you may lose the uh, lose the war and win the battle. That that's absolutely right. And and that's usually a conversation I've, I've had. And, you know, especially in these bigger cases where I'll tell the client right at the beginning, this is going to cost you a million dollars in legal fees. You will you will easily pay me a million dollars on this case. You were fighting over a million dollars. Pay that to your spouse right now. Make her or him the offer. I don't want the money. You're out this million bucks either way. Pay it to her or him. Get out of the case. Also, on uh, a smaller scale, had a case right now that they, the lady gave me a $15,000 deposit. And I'm looking at the case and saying, we, we are not going to best this offer that your husband's making. It's just like we can play with this for a year, but it's honestly not going to get any better. I would really like to see you make this deal and I will give you the $15,000 back. Don't spend the money because once we do it, that's gone. You can't get that back. But we have an opportunity to, to save it or return it to you if you um, make this other choice. And of course, it's the client's informed decision to do that. But the lawyer needs to be saying that early, not hey, uh, client, we did all this. It's the end of the month. Here's this big bill. Sorry it didn't work out for you. No, we fought hard against that guy that you don't like and that did you wrong. And you know, what's really interesting is a lot of my job as a financial advisor is almost the same as, as your job, and that's to manage clients' emotions. So when COVID hits and your million dollar portfolio went down to 750,000, hey, let's talk about is, is, it, is it an emotionally proper response to pull all of your money out of the markets? Um, is, um, and, and maybe at some points it is if, if you're older and don't have time to, for your money to recoup, but, but in most cases it's not. Um, and even the emotion, I'm sure even some of your clients, even if they're wealthy, that sometimes they spend too much money keeping up with the Joneses and that's all emotion. So if we can help to manage our clients' emotions and make logical, rational decisions, I mean, I think that's, 
you combine that with a little bit of, of legal expertise and, and financial planning expertise. And I think that's the best way to help clients. It's kind of help them to get out of their own way. That's right, David. It's exactly the same thing. It's the counseling role that mm -hmm. a lawyer has and this counseling role that you have that um, and it's really coming from a human perspective and understanding like, OK, this is what we can do for somebody technically. And then we can identify that there's emotional components to that and we can separate those out mm -hmm. because it, it doesn't it doesn't help just to react. And the client says, sell. And you're like, OK, you push the button and sell there. There needs to be a conversation around it because you've been through this before. You've seen ups and downs in the market. You've seen clients sell and then probably the market bounce back twice as hard later on. So you have the benefit of experience, a long term view, objectivity. It's not mm -hmm. your money that's at risk there. So you're able to be objective about it. It should be the same thing for a lawyer. And this is where. I think you're when you're selecting somebody, whether it's financial advisor or an attorney, is to have somebody who's balanced. Mm -hmm. Because if if you're the person that you're relying on for advice and counseling is messed up themselves, mm -hmm. you're you're not going to be led into the right place. You know, so I always tell clients there are a few areas where I will I will fight, and, and it's always the client's decision on on what decisions to make. But there are a few few areas that I will really fight hard. So let's just say hypothetically, you're a young professional, you have a twenty, you're twenty five years old, you have a baby. I'm going to fight you tooth and nail, and you are going to get life insurance unless you have you're just inherently wealthy, which quite often is not the case. So I will almost not be your advisor if you're going to fight me on on a reasonable amount of life insurance. Now, should your you know, should your portfolio be 60 40 stocks and bonds 70 30? I mean, those are there's some some areas of discretion. And it's probably the same, the same way in, in, in the legal field where there's some some areas where it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, I know you want to do this, but it's really not going to work out well. And then in other areas, it's like, yeah, you know, there's some discretion, there's some some areas of preference. Yeah, so on the financial side of litigation is much easier because we we have what we call this delta. So we know, like, hey, um, client, if if your if your theory or position in the case works, you're gonna get you could potentially get X, and um, you know, so say you know you could get a million dollars if if your theory succeeds, and um, and then worst case scenario, you're gonna get half a million bucks. Uh, if if they if the court agrees with the other side, so we got a half a million dollars in variance, and it's going to cost you a hundred thousand dollars in attorney's fees to get there. Well, you know, hey, hundred grand to get five hundred grand. You know, some people will say, hey, I'll, I'll risk that. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's uh, five thousand dollars, no, that's just dumb. And so we're going to tell them that that's easy to analyze. We can put that on a spreadsheet. Basically, when it comes to kids, it's very hard. Mm -hmm. And so what price do you put on your kids? Now, the thing that I can bring as a family lawyer is knowing I've helped families now for many years and seeing kids that have gone through a divorce and now grown up. You know, kids are resilient. Kids, you know, love both their parents. Kids can have a great relationship with both parents, even though they don't spend equal time with them may not be a great idea for the child to have to go back and forth week to week between households. That's very, could be very disruptive. So what I'm trying to bring is some perspective to say like, hey, um, I know how you feel about this right now. 
you may not you may be fighting over something you don't want to spend a lot of money on mm -hmm. no that makes makes a whole lot of sense and again it's kind of taking that emotion out and and having being a little level level-headed and i think the disinterested third party you know the financial advisor the the attorney who's been through this before I've, I'll frequently have be working with a potential new client and they'll say something completely irrational, like, well, what if I lose all of my money in the stock market? And first of all, like the stock market is a thing. The stock market is not really a thing. You don't invest in the market, you invest in companies. And then the next question is, well, has anybody ever lost all of their money in the stock market? The answer is no. So we have some processes. Um, we're going to diversify properly. We're going to put systems in place now you still can lose money there's no question about it but um i think we can talk ourselves into being afraid of things that we really shouldn't be afraid of quite often well and that's a great point you're bringing up and what i've been trying to improve with is understanding it from the client's perspective mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. it's easy for us as professionals you, you know all that stuff and and but a client coming in who's never invested before, maybe never bought a stock before, doesn't know what the stock market is, um, you know, wouldn't know all that. And and so I'm trying to get rid of assumptions in my thinking and um, and trying to meet the client where they are. And and because I don't even know, I mean, if this client I'm talking to, potential client, maybe it's the first time they've ever spoken to a lawyer and they have no idea even what a lawyer does. Uh -huh. So I'm, I'm trying to really get down to w meeting them where they're at, and then we can have a conversation. But if I start the conversation on like, oh, you're getting divorced and here we got this more Marsden rule and we, you know, it's like, yeah. what are you talking lost. about? I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I'll ask clients a lot of times, I'll feel, how do you feel about this? What are your feelings on this? What are your feelings on how much? what your children's life should be like if god forbid you didn't make it home today and from there we can kind of take the feelings and then if possible we can devise a strategy that will allow their feelings to to come come true and sometimes you know you may have ten thousand dollars saved and you feel like you want to retire on ten million dollars well can't work miracles either so yeah and that's that's it those are great questions to open up the dialogue and um rather than just jumping in there again with their toolbox and start going to solutions. And, and that's where, where I will ask an open-ended question with a, with a potential client saying, what are you worried about? What are you, what are you fearful will happen? What is your biggest concern? Because those questions now unlock all of this saying like, hey, I don't even know what I'm doing or I'm worried I'm gonna lose everything that I work for. I'm worried I'll never see my kids again. So now I can really get down to the core of that and then breaking it down and saying, well, hey, you know, you actually have a lot of rights under the law or this isn't really a legal issue. This is a psychological mental health issue that you're dealing with with your partner in a divorce. So it helps me kind of diagnose. And it's again, it's it's a it's a process of assessment and that I think a lot of professionals skip over. So it's really cool that you share that uh, with your clients and listen to them. Well, the legal questions, the financial questions, they are not kind of on an island by themselves. I mean, they also, you know, your mental health does come into play and, and maybe 
you know, one client, if their portfolio fluctuates a little too much, it's just they literally can't handle the stress. And, and maybe logically they should be able to, but there's a lot of things logically you should be able to do, but you just can't or, or don't. So I, I, I've always taken a little bit of a, of a, of a counselor type, uh, type role. So you mentioned some of the questions that you asked to your clients about, you know, what are your fears? Um, let's say there is, and it's not even necessarily a divorce, but let's say your average person out there, they're in a stressful situation and they need the help of an attorney. So first of all, kind of when does somebody need an attorney? Um, what are some things you'd be crazy to do without an attorney? Um, and then what are some ways that, what are some questions that I could ask you or another attorney, not specifically divorce attorneys, but just to make sure that you're compatible, that they are, they are competent in that area of expertise and, um, shoot, I mean, do you get a price up front? Does everybody tell you what the, what the hourly rate is, or could there be surprises? So just talk to me a little bit about those, those issues. Sure. So bringing a and early is always better. I deal with a lot of cases where um, people have gone to, you know, like we the people type thing where it's, uh, you know, basically a paralegal service to write up documents. And um, we, we had one one now we're just resolving, but they they wanted to save money in their divorce and they probably spent maybe, you know, maybe five hundred dollars drafting up this document. And then years later, they're fighting over now what that document means. They've each spent probably $200,000. So now we're $400,000 in attorney's fees trying to figure out what does this document say? What does it mean? Whose rights are under $400,000? So these are not people who were on welfare that were just needed to the $500 fee. They could have afforded more. Exactly. And it's it's I'm seeing that over and over again, people who easily could afford a lawyer think, ah, we don't need a lawyer, and they want to save a few bucks, and then it bites them horribly. Now, um, so, and, but that could happen really to anybody, and I think that getting a little bit of advice, getting, you know, a, an hour of, of, of a qualified lawyer's time early in a transaction, so if you're starting a business, or you're, you have an invention, or you got hurt in an accident, or you're going through a divorce, or you think you might be going through a divorce, or you're not sure what you should do with your estate plan, Buy an hour of a qualified lawyer's time is a huge investment and, and that will pay off. Um, now, in terms of, OK, so you decided you want to you know, retain somebody. What are the questions? Well, I said one of them is, you know, what if we disagree? And that's usually on a you know, kind of long term litigation question um, that you'd be asking. The, the other questions that, you know, you'll, you'll see on the Internet a whole bunch of questions, but they're mostly going to be provoking or invoking sales type responses, you know, like, how are you good? And it's like, of course, they're going to say they're good. So I like more penetrating questions like one would be what what mistake have you made that haunts you? Because they're not seeing this coming. That's uh -huh. not the oh, are you good at divorce? They got that down pat. What mistake? So now that puts them on the spot. And and I that tells that that answer is going to tell me uh, so much. Because if they say, obviously, well, I've never made any mistakes, well, they're a liar. Hire somebody else. If they've never thought about this and they're like, oh, great question. Well, I'm not sure. You know, I'm no, I made some mistakes, but I never gave a thought. Hire somebody else because they mm -hmm. don't care. Yep. It's like we make a mistake. And I'm sure, David, you've made mistakes. It keeps you wake up at night and you feel horrible about it. And it's you like know, I, I once I, thought I made a mistake, but I was wrong about that. <laughs> 
But it's like we all make mistakes. That's what makes us human. We're not perfect. So we're always going to mess stuff up. And then somebody who's passionate about it, who cares about it, is going to say, I never want that to happen again. And, and then they, what do you do about it? You have systems in place so it doesn't happen again. That's the type of person that you want on your team. Not somebody who doesn't care or is going to lie and say it. So I love that. It's a super penetrating question. Another one is, can I afford you? Mm -hmm. Because they know how much this is going to cost. And, um, and they may quote you, okay, yeah, my hourly rates, whatever, 400 bucks an hour, and I need a $10,000 deposit. Well, does that, what does that mean? A lot of clients hear, oh, I'm going to pay you 10,000. I'm going to solve my own problem. No, that's just the deposit. And now all of a sudden you get the first bill and it's $14,000 and you haven't even solved the case. So I think it's, can I afford you? Because now you're kind of putting the, the, the attorney on the spot. There's some accountability later on because now all of a sudden there's this huge bill and they're like, hey, you got to pay. And it's like, well, <laughs> like you knew that I make $50,000 a year when I hired you. And now you're sending me a bill for $50,000. What do you expect? And so you want that accountability at the beginning and then say, do you as yeah. an attorney have a duty to say you can't afford me? I, I really can't work for you based on what I charge. I mean, is that something that you, you could or should say? You, you, the lawyer absolutely should be saying that because it helps us nothing as a law firm to have a receivable, to have a, a client who cannot pay. That is the last thing we want to do. Because if we run up a big bill, the client can't pay it. Now the client has to go to lawyer number two and pay money to that lawyer to get up to speed in the case. That lawyer number two may be suspicious. Like, why did you leave Walzer Melcher? They're a great firm. You know, maybe it's a difficult client. So there's maybe hard to transition that. We do not ever want that outcome. So I am always telling clients in overestimating, this is going to cost you like a million bucks. It's going to be a huge amount of money. And 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 I want to know, like, how are you going to planning on paying this? Because I want to get paid for sure. And I don't want them to be disappointed. And then I will say, like, hey, there's other options out there. There's other lawyers who charge less money. They have smaller operations. They, they have lower hourly rates. You may be well served by them. This is important because it is like a partnership and we don't want to have people break the partnership. Um, and isn't so it true that the skill set to settle a high profile, high net worth divorce is probably different than the skill set required to to solve a uh, a much lower income maybe simpler divorce right i mean you're dealing with much more complexities yeah i think well like you mentioned before these these divorce cases uh you know yeah they can be a bit complicated but it's mostly the people that make them complicated and rich people and are more complicated <laughs> everyone's got the same set of problems mm -hmm. every if there's a divorce there is hurt feelings. There is, you know, property that needs to be divided, support that needs to be assessed against income and time that needs to be shared with kids. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, you got the same problems. And that's what I've learned in representing some very wealthy people, that they have the same problems that the rest of us do. Mm -hmm. The only difference is that they can afford lawyers to go in there and fight for them. And the rest of us have to kind of fend for ourselves and be much smarter in the utilization of professionals. So it may mean you're going to you're going to get one hour 
of time talking to a lawyer about how should I handle this case, what are my rights, and you know what can I expect as an outcome, and maybe you can get that done in an hour, and then represent yourself. But you 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 know it's it is everyone's got the same set of issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, an, another area to ask about is, you know, their specialty. And we touched on that a lot earlier. But, you know, it's like if you're, you're looking for a specialist, you want to ask them, do you handle any other types of law? And, and if you're looking for a specialist, you can afford that. You, want, you don't want them saying, oh, yeah, I do two other, three other things. So you definitely want to know that. Another thing, and maybe this is my fifth, is are you going to handle a case? Are you going to delegate it? Now, we, we want to know, like, internally, how do they do that stuff? So there's nothing wrong with delegation. You just want to know, like, who are you hiring? Who is actually going to work on the case? And you're, you're basically hiring the firm, um, but the person you're talking to in the interview may not be the lawyer who's actually going to handle the case. So you want to know that up front. And that goes back to the whole communication. If I decide I like your style, but in essence, I'm going to be working more with your partner who's just more of a bulldog that may be effective, but I just don't like it, then there was maybe some either misleading or just not adequate question ans- asking in the beginning. And now um, now there may be some unmet um, unmet expectations. That's right. Well, I hold to, I subscribe to kind of a theory that we all need to do what we're good at. And then most of the rest we need to farm out. And guess what? You don't work for free. I don't work for free. Um, you know, the landscaper that cuts your grass doesn't work for free. Your doctor doesn't work for free. But if we put ourselves in a position financially where we're spending most of our time working within our unique abilities, then we can earn a good enough living to where we can afford the support people around us, the attorneys, the bookkeepers, just the things that that we shouldn't have to figure out ourselves. And, and probably in most states, it's at least possible to um to handle a divorce on your own but probably highly ill-advised so i love talking to experts um, because what i want is for my clients and for our listeners to know that don't do things that you don't know how to do on your own especially if they're legal in nature they're the the consequences are so so huge if they're tax in nature if they're financial in nature you know even issues with your health i mean you could google any sickness and either think that you're going to die from it or think that you don't have it but you know your doctor and you need to work together to kind of come up with a health plan and a diagnosis so you can work with 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 the experts but but we all really need the experts and i really appreciate how you've given us some tools to pick not only an expert but the right expert for you and for me because they may be a um, maybe a different person so appreciate your advice and I want to close the show because we are the weekly wealth podcast I would like to close the show and ask you what is your definition of wealth wow that's a good one so And that's something I'm struggling with because I'm working really hard. I'm saving lots of money. Um, I'm 52 years old, so I'm looking at retirement planning. And when is enough? When is enough money? And um, that's that's something top of mind. And maybe we should talk about later uh, privately. But I'm I'm always struggling with this. And to me, the definition of wealth is to have enough money to be happy to do enough of the things that you want to do 
not all of them, because I have represented some of the wealthiest people in the world. I mean, multi-billionaires who are unhappy. Absolutely. People who I would Mm -hmm. not change places with in a moment, never change places with that person. And because the money doesn't do it, there, there's never enough money. And the, so I think, and I've, and I've also met people who have nothing, who are completely happy. And so that is something I'm struggling with. It's like, if I didn't have as much as I do, I, I'm still insecure and nervous, anxious about my future because it's like I need more. And then I see other people who have 1% of what I have who are happy. And so I, I do think it's that mindset. Obviously, there is a number and there's going to have to be enough to provide for you in retirement. But I think it's my mindset now I'm trying to get on is to have enough. I love it. I like that because um, we can just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And there's always going to be somebody with more money to say to, to compete with. And like you, I've had some clients that were very wealthy and I would not trade places with them at all. Money doesn't solve all the world's problems. Lack of money or lack of proper handling of money certainly creates issues. But, um, you know, there's I don't think there's a number where once I have this much money, my life is going to be fulfilled. So awesome, awesome stuff. Well, Chris Melcher, I just, I appreciate your time. I appreciate how candid you've been. I think this is a very valuable topic. Um, we will put your website um, in, in our show notes, but it's Walzer Melcher uh, LLP is your, walzermelcher.com is, uh, is your website. Anybody, are you just licensed in California or are there some other states? Yeah, I handle all cases in California. And if, you know, if any of you have follow-up questions or whatever, just send me an email and I'm happy to, you know, answer that or point you in the right direction because it's just, I, I want to see clients matched with the right lawyer and, and that's important. So I'm always happy to help with stuff like that if I can. I mean, you're such a nice guy. I literally can't even make any attorney jokes to, uh, about you. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to do. Well, until uh, next episode, we really appreciate your time. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.